Our passage begins with these words. You see them in verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Uh, We're in this morning the last of our little series looking at parables in Luke's gospel. And we're told up front, this parable Jesus told to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They say, I'm good with God. I'm good with God. And they treat others with contempt. Have you ever been treated with contempt? Contempt, so one dictionary tells me, is when a person shows lack of respect or lack of reverence to someone or something. It's when someone despises or disdains someone or something. Look down your nose. Really honour a person as you should. I think contempt is the heart attitude of the bully. It's when you think so little of a person that you could almost crush them like a bug or an ant on the path in front of you. Well, here's a story Jesus tells to those who trust in themselves and show that attitude to others. Here's what Jesus wants to say to them, and we get to listen in. And I think that's tremendously good news for us as Christians here this morning, because we know what it's like to feel contempt. The church has always been treated with contempt. That The early church, people used to say horrible things about Christians in the past. The early church was accused of incest. Did you know that? Because they spoke to each other as brothers and sisters, and yet some were married to each other. What contempt accused people of that? The early church were accused of cannibalism because they spoke of eating the body and blood of Christ at the Lord's Supper. Pretty horrible thing to be said of you, isn't it? The church was blamed for the fire of Rome. And, and worst of all, Christians were te- treated as sport in the amphitheater. And is that, if, 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 if that's not contempt, I don't know what is. And we know what contempt is like today, don't we? Have you ever had someone say to you, uh, you say Jesus is risen from the dead. Well, where is he, you fool? Have you ever ever had someone say to you, even by implication, uh, you say Jesus' kingdom has come? Well, it doesn't look like it, does it? That's contempt. We know what contempt is like. And our parable today is told to those who show us that kind of contempt. To those who trust in themselves that they're righteous and look down their noses at others. I think the setting shows it to us. Look at 17 Verse 20, here's the the context. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem and the Pharisees are asking him some questions. We're not told exactly the exact wording of the question, uh, but I think we can imagine it goes like this. The Pharisees ask Jesus, oh, well, your kingdom is coming then, is it, Jesus? Oh, yeah, you've been preaching about that, haven't you? Well, do tell us when it will be. We get a sense of contempt, don't we, in all of the questions the Pharisees ask Jesus. I expect it's here too. And so Jesus tells us this story. Uh, he, he tells the Pharisees this story. That, that, that even if some declare themselves to be right with God, to be the goodies, <laughs> and pour contempt on you, well, don't worry. Because in the end, they only bring judgment on themselves. You see, Jesus' kingdom is real. 
it is coming and it has come. It is in the midst of us. And those who think they don't need it and those who think they're righteous in themselves and those who pour contempt on you, well, today they get a warning. And today, if you're struggling with that contempt that you feel, you get some confidence. In fact, I think we see we get a heck of a load of courage, in fact, too. So let's look then at this famous parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I think Jesus shows us two things. And the first one is this, that if you're like the Pharisee in this story, if you're like the Pharisee in this story, your confidence, your self-confidence and your contempt of others will have you condemned. Your self-confidence and your contempt of others will have you condemned. Jesus tells the story and it begins there in verse 10, doesn't it? Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, it feels to me a little bit like one of those jokes. Uh, There was an Englishman, a Scotsman, and an Irishman. And they all went up to the temple to pray. How will they come down? The Pharisee and the tax collector are caricatures. They're they're characters. They have roles. We expect them to play. We've, We've got our presumptions about them. To go up to the temple, and we are supposed to have expectations about this. We know who will come back as the goody, as the righteous one. It won't be the tax collector. It'll be the Pharisee. Now, that's quite hard for us to hear today because we assume the Pharisee's a baddie. In that day, he wasn't. He was the epitome of piety. The Pharisee observed the law of God. In fact, not just that, the Pharisee would keep over 600 additional laws, 600 additional laws, so that they could keep the law of God as the law of God. They talk about being keen, right? He's a goodie. He's like the the kid that stays behind in the library to do all that extra work because they want to impress. Uh, It's like the community officer redrafting the council proposals in overtime because they want to see these good initiatives happen for the community. He's a hero. The Pharisee's the hero. He's the goodie. In the world redrawn around the Roman Empire and the Roman boundaries, the Pharisee sticks to their principles, fights the good fight. We're supposed to admire them. And we're supposed to smirk and dis- with disdain at the tax collector. But Jesus tells this story with these well-known characters so he can shock us with a reversal of fortunes. And it's hinted at all the way through as we compare these two characters. We compare their, their posture and their prayer. Look at the Pharisee's posture in verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed thus. They've gone to the temple to pray. This would have been morning or evening worship where the sacrifice of atonement was made. And the Pharisees stood apart. And that shouldn't actually be that surprising. Apparently, the the word Pharisee literally means one who is separated. The Pharisee was one who was so special and so holy, they were sort of a class above. But it does make us wonder, doesn't it? Standing, what does it say? The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. It does make you wonder, how does he do it? Should he, should, he be set, should he stand apart like that? He's on a pedestal. He's put himself there. He's confident. How does he do it? We find out in verse 11, the answer to his confidence is in his prayer. What does he say? God, I thank you. I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Now, he isn't like those other people. 
But still, it's a horrible thing to hear that prayer, isn't it? We can see that the Pharisee trusts in himself. He's proud, he's smug, he's arrogant. He talks about himself and he shows contempt of others. Despite his grade A religious reputation, his righteousness is a failure, isn't it? All he cares about is himself. And the implication is clear, he's going to be condemned. And we see that in the end, don't we, in the punch of the story. But why? Why will this Pharisee be condemned? Well, look, first, he ignores God. He offers prayers of thanks for his righteous deeds that he sees in his life. But what is the source of his great religion? Look at the words of his prayer. He thinks the source of all the good in his life is himself. Look, he prays to God, but might as well not be, right? God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. His long rambling prayer mentions himself five times and God only once. His religious activity may look amazing, but he's got a big problem. He doesn't thank God as the source of all the good in his life, which is a big problem if we know our Bibles. I don't know whether Romans 3 comes firing for you at this moment. It does for me. Romans 3 says the big problem human beings have got is that although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give him thanks. You see, this Pharisee's got outstanding religious pedigree. That's, there's no question about that. But he doesn't thank God for it. He congratulates himself. I wonder if you can see how awful that is. The source of all the good we have in our lives is God. God created everything out of nothing. He sustains everything and he guides everything. All your good ideas, where did they come from? Did they come from you? No, they came from God. All your good energy to achieve your good initiatives. You gave a lift to someone else who needed a lift to school. Where did your energy come from? Did it come from you? No. All those good opportunities that arise for us, where did they come from? They didn't come from you. They come because of God. The Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I am so great. I'm not like them. Well, excuse me, Mr. Pharisee. Your prayer may well be directed to God, but you're just congratulating yourself. Where do you think the breath comes to live and breathe and achieve your great accomplishments? How do you think the opportunities arose before you for your great learning and your religious performance? Friends, our good achievements are not self-generated. They come from God. They therefore belong to God and he should be properly thankful for them. Not you, not me, not us. How arrogant it is to think that you yourself stand alone behind all the good things you've achieved. Isn't that arrogance? If God is creator and Lord of all. Do you see then that if we are confident like this Pharisee in our own righteousness, as if it's self-made, well, we ignore God. And if we ignore God, we see ourselves condemned, don't we? Your confidence in your supposedly self-made righteousness shows you're not right with God at all. Friends, this is a real shock. It is a real shock to us because, because we see appearances, don't we? We see this Pharisee looking so good. He looks like a smart jumbo jet. Think of the adverts on the TV, Fly Emirates. He's got this sleek religious exterior, but he's got a busted engine, hasn't he? 
he's, he's done these good things. He doesn't thank God for them. And then he has the gall to treat them as, as if they're chips. He can cash in with God and buy God off with the things God has given him. And he ignores the holiness and the perfection of God. And his confidence is pointing out his own condemnation. If you're like a Pharisee, friends, this morning, there's a warning, isn't there? Your confidence and contempt of others will see you condemned. And it is worse than that, isn't it? It gets worse. He ignores God. He fails to love God. But this man, he doesn't love his neighbor either, does he? And actually, that's us if we follow his path. Look at his behavior in that room as he stands from afar and prays. It's like he scans the room and he thanks God and he says, I thank God that I'm not like you and you and you and you. And as the tax collector comes in, it's like he's got his sniper rifle out, isn't it? And and especially not you. There he is, he's denouncing sin. I denounce your sin, I denounce your sin, I denounce your sin. And we go, well, hang on a minute. Where's the confession of your own sin? Are you just going to go around battering people down? Is that all you're going to do? Just condemn others? And think on it for a minute, and we see that is all he is doing, isn't it? That is all he is doing. He is saying, here is righteousness, I've got it, and they don't. And it's almost like in his prayer, he's getting God to agree with him. He's trying to get God on his side, like, I'm condemning them. Shouldn't they be condemned, God? Yeah, agree with me, and then I'll be the righteous goody, and I'm in with you, and and I can be in, and they can be out, and I can be in. Look, God, see these sinners, they're so awful. Look at their failures, agree with me. He's trying to get God to exclude them so that he himself can be included. What a lovely guy. No. Here's what I've done so you can include me. Here's what they've done so you can exclude them. Does he love his neighbor? No. In fact, I don't think he's even willing to see any mercy done to any of the people in that temple. Because he's, he's treading on them, isn't he? He's excluding them so he can be included. If God shows mercy to those sinners, well, it takes away his justification, doesn't it? He can't stand on them if God shows mercy to them. He's having God's mercy actually held out of the temple. And the irony is that as this Pharisee keeps God's mercy away from the temple and doesn't let it get near those sinners, he doesn't let it get near him either, does he? And he's desperately in need of God's mercy. He sees himself condemned. Do you see If you're like this Pharisee, self-confident, you will be showing contempt to others, almost by necessity, and it sees you condemned. God is not happy in the end with those of us who say, as I think many of us have said this, see God, look, I'm good, I'm better than them. I'm not as bad as them. God is not happy with that. The story ends with the declaration, doesn't it? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So there's a warning here, isn't there? If you're like that Pharisee, if you're proud in yourself, well, it will be leading to a poisonous attitude to others and total alienation from God. Do you see that's where you are if you're on that path? We must ask very seriously this morning, is this me? Do you find yourself thinking, I'm in, I'm in me, I'm in heaven? Do you find yourself looking down on others with judgment? And yet, at the same time, letting yourself off the hook? Do you find yourself complacent about your sin, but very easily able to judge others? 
Do you find yourself easily able to make quick, trite, harsh put-downs about other people, even if you never say them aloud? Do you find yourself happy to box people in to prejudices that you set for them? Do you find there's some people you will never give the benefit of the doubt to? Do you find there's some people you will never think positively of because you're so determined that you will judge them and that you're better than them? You never give them a chance. Isn't that a kind of contempt? Friends, our self-righteous confidence and the necessary contempt of others that comes with it, it does bring judgment. It does on the Pharisee there, doesn't it? And It's a warning. Here is Jesus, King Jesus speaking to these Pharisees who show contempt. And there's a, char- and there's a, there's a character he, caricature he paints. And the awful thing is it fits them. And this morning it might fit you. But the wonderful thing is there's confidence here too. If you're a Christian, if you've been at the harsh end of this contempt, you can know that as Jesus describes this Pharisee and his contempt in such a way, as Jesus points out his condemnation, you can know those that show this kind of contempt will not get away with it. You can know Jesus' kingdom has come, that he will do justice, that those who humbly trust in Christ will be vindicated. If you're struggling with contempt today, do you see the confidence that brings? I hope you do. There's a warning. There's a warning here, but it breeds confidence for the Christian too. They won't get away with it. I may feel treated like a worm. But God is going to do right in the end. The proud self-righteous this very day are being condemned. As the, as the Pharisees say, oh Jesus, where, where is your kingdom and has it come? We see in this parable it really has come don't we? They won't get away with it. But the Pharisee isn't the only character in this parable, is he? Number two, we see the tax collector, don't we? And here we see, I think Jesus wants to teach us, if you're like the tax collector, your contrition over your sin and your cry to God will have you cleared. If you're like the tax collector, your contrition over sin and your cry will have you cleared. Come back to the story with me. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood apart, didn't he? But look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now again, notice, notice his posture and his prayer, but also notice his very presence in the temple. The fact that a tax collector is even in the temple is totally remarkable. Remember, tax collectors had extorted the people they live with in their community, their neighbours. They'd taken money for the Romans and, and had a slice in their own pocket too. This man has aligned himself with, with the enemies. He's aligned himself with the history of Rome and Greece and Persia and Babylon and the Amorites and the Philistines and the Egyptians. That's the, that's the side the tax collector's on. So there must be something pretty massive going on in his heart for him to come into the temple because everyone's going to go, what are you doing here? I mean, he's going to feel seriously cold when this man walks in the temple. There must be something big going on with him and we see it in his posture. Do you remember the Pharisee's there and he's, he's stood apart, super righteous. But the tax collector's there and he stands far off. Separated not because he's super righteous, but because he thinks... He's got no right to be there at all. 
the tax collector feels disbarred, like the sacrifice going on here is not for him. Uh, Someone has said that what's going on with this tax collector is really Psalm 24 worked out. You know the famous words of Psalm 24? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And the tax collector knows he hasn't got it. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. That's the normal thing that you did when you were praying. He won't even do that. Such is his shame. And in fact, in his great shame, he is overcome. He sees this sacrifice being worked out. And he feels certain it cannot be with him, but be, be for him. And so he gets totally overcome with emotion. Apparently, tax collectors, to be allowed back in the temple, they had to really turn their back on their old life. They had to make everything good, return all the money. I don't think this guy's at that place yet. He's just come into the temple. He realizes he needs to get right with God. He's a work in progress. He just shows up. And he gets there knowing he needs to be right with God, but he sees the sacrifice and it can't be for him. And so he wails. He needs God's forgiveness. He sees the people, he sees the sacrifice, he feels miles away from it, overcome with grief, he beats his breast. That was something women usually did at funerals when they were overcome with mourning. You didn't expect to see this in the temple. Never, never. (laughs) This is not temple behavior. This would have been loud and noisy and totally out of place. You see what this tax collector is like. Do you remember the Pharisee came in and he's looking around and he's saying who he's not like? This guy has no interest in, he doesn't even notice anyone in the room. He just knows where he's at with God and he's overcome with his emotion and he can't moderate that based on who's around. He's not even looking at them. He agonizes and wails over his heart and where he's come to and how he feels with God. That's his posture. Humble before God. But notice his prayer too. I mean, how different is this? It's not long, not self-referential. It's short and to the point. Look at verse 13. How does he pray? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. More literally, God, make atonement for me, the sinner. This tax collector says to God, I am the sinner. (laughs) The way that Pharisee singled me out, yeah, I am that man. I am the sinner of sinners. That's how I, I feel. And what does he declare? God, would you make the sacrifice for me? I don't feel that sacrifice there can be for me. God, would you make atonement for me? Would you find a way of my guilt being taken? Would you find a way of averting my justice? Would you, the justice I need, Would you find a way, would you find the means of my forgiveness? I don't feel there is one. That's the cry of his heart. Humble trust in God. God, would you provide a rescue? And this moment is, I think, just beautiful because, of course, as he says those words, do you remember who's telling this parable? He says, God, would you make atonement for me, the sinner of sinners? And of course, that is exactly what God would do. That is exactly what the speaker of this parable will do. He will fulfill the temple sacrifices. He will make the sacrifice for this tax collector. He himself will make atonement. He himself will take this man's guilt. 
he himself will take the justice of God on the cross. He'll answer the prayer. And soon enough, of course, you wouldn't be able to go to the temple for those sacrifices anyway. The temple would be destroyed. Because Jesus had fulfilled it all. In the end, this tax collector is ahead of the curve, isn't he? Actually. He does what is right. He does what is needed. His contrition over his sin and his cry to God for mercy see him cleared. And the shock of the story finds its fulfillment, doesn't it? In in verse 14, this tax collector, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says it's those humbly trusting Christ who are justified, who are declared to be in the right with God. Righteousness is not found parading and reciting your good works. It is found trusting in Christ's sacrifice for your sin. And the day you put your trust in Christ, despite all the contempt of the world, you are justified in Christ. That is what Jesus promises. That his kingdom has come and you are declared right with God. That is the present promise of God to this tax collector. That's the present promise of God to you and to me that you're right with God. Justification, some have said, is is where God declares that you are just as if you'd never sinned. Where it's legally declared over you that it is just as if you had lived the life that Christ had lived. Because Christ has lived that perfect life for you. Because he has taken your sin on his shoulders. Taken it to the grave and done away with it forever. You are justified. Two men go up to the temple. One comes back justified. In the right with God. And it's not the Pharisee. It's the tax collector who humbly trusts in God. And what a shock. And what a shock, because the contempt continues. You see, when the, when the tax collector leaves the temple, I mean, he's made a song and a dance, hasn't he? He's made wailing, all this noise, and then he leaves. To everyone else, what has happened? Well, not a lot. But Jesus tells us exactly what has happened. This man is now a citizen of heaven. He is now righteous, declared to be righteous. And the Pharisee is... Is condemned. Do you see to those Pharisees who've been showing contempt? Oh, your kingdom's come, has it, Jesus? Well, yeah, it has, hasn't it? Jesus is the king here and now. And those who humbly trust in him can enter his kingdom, though they face scorn. They're declared right with God. And one day is coming, a day of vindication. Oh, the Pharisees say, where is your kingdom? Well, yes, it hasn't come just yet, not fully. But it is coming. And those who humbly trust in Christ on that day will be vindicated. Pour the contempt all you like. But it's only those who trust in Christ who will be cleared and declared righteous. So what do we need to hear from this today? Well, some of us today need to hear this parable speak to us when we think that heaven is far off from us. Um, like the tax collector thought. 
If that's you this morning, you need to see that Christ has made the sacrifice for those who feel far away. If that's you this morning, can I just ask you just to soak in verse 14 and know that you can be forgiven by the one who tells this parable. He has made the sacrifice that all who are far off can come near to God. Some of us this morning have really felt the contempt of the world for living as a Christian. Maybe you felt that from colleagues, from neighbours, from friends. Scorn on Jesus, scorn on his kingdom. Well, if that's you, you need to hear what Jesus is saying here. You need to hear that judgment falls on the proud. That those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And you'll need to notice that though the tax collector is scorned, heaven has declared him in the right. And that's the same for you. Though contempt may fall, you're in the right with God. And that is the end of the story. Gather your confidence, friends. Jesus means for you to know that and feel it and believe it and walk it out. Some of us today may have been challenged. Maybe it's the first time you've realised you withhold mercy from others. You look down on others. We've seen today again, haven't we, that the good news message of Jesus is pure mercy. It is all about Jesus. And maybe some of us today have noticed that we've, we've judged others. We need to see today that whether we're self-justified according to our good works, or even if we know we're justified by God, our justification is never, ever grounds for condemning others, is it? Never, ever. Some of us will need to do some repenting this morning on that. Some of us are thinking, thanks, Ollie. Phew. Good thing none of that applies to me, isn't it? I thank you, God, that I am not like that Pharisee. Well, if that's you, you need the warning, don't you? Here is a story Jesus told to some who trusted in themselves and treated others with contempt. And we've been able to listen in. We've heard a warning, a warning to those Pharisees, a warning to the world as it shows its contempt. Jesus, the king, warns. Does that give you courage? It should. But we've also been given confidence in the future, the future vindication of all those who humbly trust in Christ. The day you put your trust in Christ, you are declared right with God forever. All who trust in Christ are justified by him. What a joy then for us to say together this morning, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What a joy to feel the contempt of the world as if we are the very unrighteous, the sinner of sinners, and yet to say, God make atonement for me, the sinner of sinners. What a joy to say that. Because it's exactly what God has done in Christ. God has made atonement for me in Christ my Saviour. It is truly wonderful news that should give us confidence and joy and courage. I pray it gives you that today. Shall we pray? Our gracious, loving and heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the warning that we've heard actually today. And we recognise that warning is given to those who show contempt. Maybe today we've seen actually that's us. And if that's us, Lord, we just ask that you would lead us to a place of repentance 
that we would stop withholding mercy from others and receive the mercy of Christ. We pray that you would take us to a place of humble trust in Christ. And Father, if we are this morning like that tax collector, having thrown ourselves on the mercy of God, well, we ask that despite all the contempt of the world, we would remember that Christ's kingdom has come, that every day citizens of heaven are made through humble trust in Christ Jesus. May we be given courage knowing that that declaration stands in heaven and is untouchable kept in heaven for us thank you for all this might it join our hearts and strength to us we pray in jesus name amen